Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a wonderful hour planned for you. I hope you enjoyed Guy Talk. And now I've got uh, John Bloom in the studio. We're going to do Deep Thinker Thursday. Usually John's wife, Pam, is with him as well. She has got duty, though, today, taking care of the grandkids, which I'm sure she's suffering through, <laughs> probably loving every minute of it. Minute yeah, of it. And uh, sure so, is. Pam, thank you for uh, your faithfulness to being here. But, uh, John, you're going to... Uh, do all the work today. I am. Yeah, which I'm excited about. We're going to do a meditation on Psalm 73, which is going to be awesome. I hope so. <laughs> yes. I John, mean, yeah, let me to, just to remind. The de- to the degree that it that I'm that it's Psalm 73 and not me, it will be awesome. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. John, of course, is uh, the co-founder of DesiringGod.org and is an um, amazing contributor. Uh, just go to DesiringGod.org, Google his name, and you will find hundreds and hundreds of, of articles. So always good to have you in studio. And let's jump into Psalm 73, this meditation. This is a, actually an article that's coming out like at the end of the week or next week. Yeah, it comes out on the 24th this of June. This is fresh material. It is. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is fresh. And, um, you know, I've spent um, quite a bit of time in the Psalms meditating deeply on psalms, especially psalms of lament. So when we've talked over the last few months, um, we have talked about articles that I've written based on, on psalms like this. Um, they're, they're, they're psalms that capture somebody's um, deep faith wrestlings, or, or an, in this case, a faith crisis. And, um, and I think it's really pertinent because, you know, Every single one of us endures various kinds of, of faith crises over time. And so it's really important that we um, avail ourselves of the really deep, complex literature in the Psalms and, and other, and other uh, wisdom books in the Bible mm-hmm. because they tackle deep, deep things. They, they cover all the kinds of wrestlings that that we experience, and so Psalm seventy three is is a uh, is well known because um, this is written by a composer who almost lost faith. He said, "My feet almost slipped." It's a great it's a great psalm. If I could just read the first line, because I think it it appeals it will appeal to everyone listening. And John says, in story after story, book after book, the Bible reminds us that no one is immune from deep, disorienting spiritual wrestlings. That's right. So true. That's right. Yeah. So I just want to set the stage with that. People just got in their car. What are they talking about? That's it. Yeah. Well, some some people were listening to the hour just before. Yes. And I, I caught the last part of it when when you guys were talking about people who have lost their faith. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... um. And so, like th- this is really pertinent stuff for that, because the Bible is raw. It is it is raw and very real, 
And uh, it's wonderful in the sense that these composers write um, very honestly about their experiences, which is so helpful for us. I agree. Um, and so, yeah, so let's, let's look at it. It was written by a guy named Asaph. Um, if anybody who is familiar with the Psalms, they've heard the name because he wrote a number of Psalms. He wrote, he wrote Psalm 50, and then he wrote Psalms 73 through 83. At least those are Psalms that are attributed to him. I know the Bible scholars will say it's possible that not, um, not all the Psalms were written to the people that they're attributed to, um, especially with somebody like Asaph, because Asaph was, <clears throat> he was one of the primary uh, worship leaders that David appointed in the service of the tabernacle. Okay. Okay. That's so, what was on his resume. Yep. He, yep. Would, he would have been the leader of one of the three um, clans of the Levites. Okay. So there was Asaph, there was a guy named Haman, mm-hmm. and Psalm 88, which is a really bleak psalm, a really deep wrestling song. One that ends without hope. Yeah, is attributed to Haman. Yes. So he was a leader of a clan. Yes. And he was a worship leader. Yeah. And the other one is Ethan, the the Ezraite, and he was also a leader of a clan, and he wrote Psalm 89, which is also a very, um, uh, <laughs> a very honest psalm about somebody who is wrestling over the fact that God does not appear to be faithful. So you have these three... These three high-profile um, composers, they were worship leaders. They're, they were men of renown. In some places in the Old Testament, it talks about that, that Haman and Ethan, in particular, these other two guys, were known in the East for their great wisdom. All right? No, no, so that just tells you something about... You, do, you can say, um, well, you know, a mature Christian really shouldn't have wrestlings. Of faith. I mean, you should be growing in faith. Well, uh, that doesn't prove to be true because the way you end up growing in faith is often through deep, deep wrestling, like, like Ethan, like Haman, and then Asaph here. So Asaph, in Psalm seventy-three, um, he he had this this crisis of faith, and the, and the nature of his crisis was that. Um, <laughs> He believed, you know, he he would have known the Hebrew scriptures really well. He would have been among the most well-educated men in, in Israel. He would have been very conversant with all the Hebrew scriptures, especially the songs, because he, he was a worship leader. So he would have known Moses' songs, where Moses said that God's work is perfect and all his ways are justice. That's Deuteronomy 32.4. He would have known the song of Hannah when she said, that God will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. That's 1 Samuel 2.9. And he would have known, <laughs> he certainly would have known the songs of his friend King David. David was appointed him. And uh, so he would have been very conversant with David's songs. And so I imagine that he knew psalms like uh, 103, where David wrote, The Lord loves justice. And he will not forsake his saints, but the children of the wicked he will cut off. All right, so th- the refrain in those three different um, sample psalms is God will, you know, he will guard and protect and help those who are righteous, and he will punish the wicked. A problem was for, for Asaph, that's not what he was observing. 
in Psalm 73. So um, he begins by saying, uh, he begins with a statement of faith. In verse 1, Psalm 73, verse 1, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. However, he says um, that for him, he says, for me, though, my, f- my feet almost slipped in verse 2. Because what he was observing was not God doing well by the righteous and punishing the wicked. He was watching the wicked prosper and brutalize the innocent and the righteous. Mm-hmm. So it's looking like God's not, God's not doing what the Bible says he does. Now, when that happens, and we take those things seriously, that produces a crisis. You know, some crises, we, we, sometimes we refer to crises of faith as, you know, does God exist? Well, that's one kind of crisis. Another kind of crisis is, is God really who he says he is? Does God really keep his promises? If he does, how come it doesn't look like he does? And that's what's happening here in, in Psalm 73. And, and, and anybody who lives in the world that we live in and reflects at all on the evil that happens here is troubled by the incongruency that we see. Things that we expect God to do and God doesn't seem to do. So we have crises. Sometimes they're, they're minor Oftentimes, they can go on for almost almost imperceptibly for quite a while in us before something kind of breaks open and it becomes more of an intense crisis. But we're just kind of troubled. We just kind of put it away like, I don't know what to do with that, and I don't know what to do with that, and I don't know what to do with that. I imagine that may have happened with Asaph, just, just from my own personal experience and observation of others. Something happened to him where it just kind of broke open for him. And he's like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And so his, the foundations, the foundations of his faith, the foundations of what he believed about God and his character began to crumble. Spiritual wrestlings. Spiritual wrestlings. Mm-hmm. That's right. So even as, and here's, now, if anybody's listening to us who's, who's in either vocational or bivocational ministry, but, they're, but they stand up regularly in front of the people that lead them in worship or, you know, whether it's in preaching or in song. Um, they may know this experience. Asaph was having to lead worship, my guess is, during this crisis. So he's having to stand up and lead the people while he himself is deeply wrestling. That is a common experience. So if you're experiencing that, um, you're not alone. And, um, and so it's one of the reasons to take, to, to, to delve into these and spend some time with authors like this, because they can help, they can help put pieces together for us, um, when our own faith is crumbling. Mm-hmm. John Bloom is my guest. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and he's got an article coming out at DesiringGod.org on the 24th of this month. When Doubt Eclipses Faith, Learning to Fight for Spiritual Sight. That's the topic of today. We're focusing on Psalm 73. So if you have your Bible handy, open that up. We're talking about Asaph and his wrestling over some of the apparent contradictions 
between what he understood to be true of God and what the Bible, and, and from Bible re- revelation and what he was seeing with his own eyes around him. We'll take a short break and be right back. Back. Oh, we got so busy with conversations during the break. This is Deep Thinker Thursday with John Bloom. He's at DesiringGod.org. We're talking about um, an article coming out on the 24th of June. Spiritual wrestlings is the topic. And a listener uh, said, how do you reorient yourself in your relationship with God when it feels hard? How do you handle your mental loops when you feel like your feet are slipping and you're not sure if you're going to get up again or just perpetually slip? Well, <clears throat> that is a very good question. And it's a question that I imagine quite a few people listening either have experienced or, or are experiencing right now. I have. And, um, and my answers are not going to be formulaic. I don't tend to give those anyways. But there isn't a there isn't a four step uh, way to um, end a faith crisis because every single one is different. It's different in nature. It's different in intensity. Um, it's it's got different dynamics going on inside. There isn't one way. There's not just a few different ways to get out, um, which we get clearly from the different psalms and other. And other places in scriptures. So, you know, how do you stop those mental loops? Well, my my first piece of counsel is don't panic. Like when we are going through um, other kinds of bodily sickness, let's just say, there's. Um, a sense in which certain things have to run their course and you're not going to get over it easy. You're going to go through some misery. The soul has its sicknesses. And, um, and some, like, some you get, you get over quickly, some you don't. Some, some last a long time. And so I would just say don't panic. I would also say... Um, don't um, don't separate yourself from the the word of God when you're disillusioned. Um, sit with it because <clears throat> we're going to find out as we move along here in this psalm. Asaph um, has a moment when when he perceives something that helps bring him out. Um, now, I'm, I'm gonna, when we get there, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm going to suggest that the actual experience wasn't quite as neat and clean as you, you put in a song or a poem or a quick account. Um, it probably wasn't like that. It's not like that usually for almost anybody. However, there comes a moment. So there's the season of difficulty in wrestling, seasons where, where you've got that mental loop going over and over and over, and you're, and you're playing all kinds of questions in your head, and, and why this, why this, and this doesn't make sense, and I don't know what to do with this, and I don't know what to do with that. Um, be patient with it. 
and keep praying. Share it with some trusted, faithful people who can walk with you and pray with you and wait. That's going to that's be essentially my, my answer because that's been my own experience. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. I love that wisdom because I, I think everybody needs to just be still and wait upon the Lord. And if you're in a mental loop that's making you nuts, just be patient. Yes. <clears throat> and typically what God is doing in those moments is deep faith formation. I like that expression, deep faith formation. Deep faith formation. I like that. Yeah, that's what, and that, um, the the dynamics of the soul are, um, have their parallels in, in the physical reality. We don't gain any strength without resistance, without putting our bodies through discomfort. The same thing is true with the soul. The same thing is true with faith. Your faith is not going to be built without struggle, without resistance. And certain things don't happen without some deep things going on. And, um, and so that's part of it. That's, 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 a, that's not the only thing that's, that, that I can say about it, but that's, that's just part of it. God does deep work. Um, the people that we see who have the most robust faith in Scripture are people who've gone through some of the deepest forms of suffering and crises. And so we're in good company, um, but we do need to be patient. I love this line, John. Asaph's faith was in crisis and wrestling with his questions and doubts, especially in the context of his visible public ministry, increasingly felt like a wearisome task. That's right. Psalm seventy three sixteen. That's right. It was a wearisome task to 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 endure this. And the person who wrote that question, my guess is, understands that. Yeah, your deep soul weariness. You don't want to live there too long. You don't. Nope. But usually, we are there longer than we wish, <laughs> because um, God has His ways, and they they are not ours. So, so anyway, let's just jump back quickly. Yes. So Asaph, <clears throat> Asaph describes what's going on inside of him. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he notices they don't have any pangs until death. Like things go just fine for them. <laughs> Their bodies mm-hmm. are, f- are fat and sleek. Now, th- just, just remember, that's a different age when, yeah. when fatness and sleekness represented prosperity because most people didn't have enough. They were on subsistence or lower, um, you know, Food levels. Yeah. Um, hunger was something that was familiar. So these folks aren't experiencing that. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. We can, there's people in our minds. Every one of us ha- knows some people like this. And therefore, pride is their necklace. That's why they're arrogant. Like, like they, they're like, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so um, they scoff, they can scoff at God, they can speak with malice about others, they threaten oppression, they set their mouths against heaven, they can say things against God, and it looks like there's no, like there's without any impunity. And so um, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? That's another way of saying, is there really a God? I mean, does God, is there a God out there who actually knows what I'm doing? Because if he does, he seems to be like either approving <laughs> he's different than than what we think or 
uh, you know, he's not, he's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just mocking. And so he's, so, so, so he is to the point where he says, look, I, I look at my life in vain. I have kept my heart clean. I've washed and washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been stricken. I've been rebuked every morning. So, so in other words, he, he's finding c- continual places of resistance, continual things going on that are making life hard. And, and, like, the, and he's recognizing well, these are God's providences. Why, are, why does God keep tossing things in front of me that I have to keep fighting through? And this guy has no problems. And so he says, um, <laughs> if I would have spoken this way, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he, he was keep, it means he was keeping it in. Okay. If he, if he had just broken it out, he would have, he would have, uh, if he just would have started saying it, <laughs> he's an influential person. He's like a, he's like a pastor feeling that way okay. going, you know, man, I could derail a whole bunch of people. I'd be, I'd betray the generation of your children. And so, um, th- then at this, the next, I think probably after the break here that we're going to take, we will look at what happened to him to bring him out. Yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be big. I want to, I want to go in depth on that. Yeah. All right. We're not uh, quite there yet though. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I just want to, again, go back to this ASAP being in crisis and wrestling with questions and doubts. And, and that is what is central to everybody's walk in their Christian faith is at some point they're wrestling and they need to be. That's a good thing because it's in that time that God does that. What are the three F's again? The, the deep faith formation. D, yeah, yeah, so there's not three Fs. It's one D and two Fs. Deep faith formation. Because that's, that's what he's doing, his, his work in us. Yeah. The other thing to notice is that this is a song. This is a song. This is a corporate song. It's in the, it's in the hymnal of the people of Israel. So this was written for people to sing. That's kind of nuts, isn't it? Yeah, which means, and a third of, those, a third of, the, of the hymns in the hymnal or the yeah. psalms in the, uh, in the book are laments. Mm-hmm. Some of them very profound laments. They sung this together because they recognized this as a significant aspect of life. Yeah, that's so important. And for we us to... don't do it very often. No. Because we don't highlight failures. We don't. We don't highlight crises. We don't highlight weakness. We highlight strength, prosperity, um, confidence, winners. Exactly. All right. John Bloom's my guest. We're talking about wrestling with our faith and our um, our when doubt eclipses faith learning to fight for spiritual sight that's the title of his article coming out uh, on the 24th of June we'll be right back uh, after a short break Show with Bill 
Connect with John Bloom from Desiring God. Go to DesiringGod.org to learn more about John. And his wife, Pam, usually is with us today. She's not, but uh, John, I'm awfully glad to have you here. Let's talk about, as we continue our discussion on uh, Psalm 73, uh, how Asaph started taking these these doubts he had, and he he led it, it got led back to a, a more of a faith-filled hope. Yes. So this is where, this is the pivot in the psalm when we get to Verse 17. So you had, you had referred to uh, verse 16 when you said, when I thought about how to understand all these things, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And uh, the reason I said earlier that he was carrying these things while he's leading worship is because he's, he said in verse 15, if I speak this way, if I, if I, just, if I tell everybody all these, these things I'm thinking, um, I'm going to betray the generation of your children. I'm going to discourage their faith. That's what he means. I will give, I will be... Um, giving you a bad name to them. Mm. Um, but as I'm wrestling with this inside myself, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And then the pivot in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and I discerned there and there being uh, being the the arrogant, the prideful, the oppressors, the wicked... I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, what does he mean here? So he's, he's had this eclipsing moment, doubts about God's character, about, about whether this is all, about whether these, these things that, we, that they were saying and singing about God is really true because it doesn't look like it's bearing itself out. It looks, looks like it's the, the opposite. Doubt was eclipsing his sight of God to some degree. And then... He has a moment where he starts seeing, and he calls it, I went into the sanctuary of God and discerned their end, or we call it, we can call it, I, you know, I, um, he had an insight, he saw, something was illumined to him, and perhaps it was a one-time experience, maybe one sort of dramatic moment happened, he could be recording that. Or, because this is a song, he could be summarizing a gradual experience. Um, I've actually, in my own life, had both. I've had, I've had a couple moments of, of sort of sudden encounter. I would call, what I would call encounter with the Spirit of God in um, seeing something in the Word of God that, that's, that came alive. And it was transformative. And then I've also had seasons that didn't, wasn't like that. It was much more gradual. The, the, it was more like an, the, you know, an eclipse doesn't happen suddenly and it doesn't end suddenly. So you, you have this moment, you're, you're watching you know, the, either a solar or lunar eclipse. You're seeing the, the, the shadow or the object pass in front slowly. And then it covers it. You can't really see it. And then it uncovers slowly. I think so it could be both. Both happen. Both of these things happen. And, um, but he catches a glimpse and this is why I encourage people don't, don't remove yourself from the place of seeing. Um, if you, if you remove yourself from, you know, what would be the, the, uh, the analogs to, to the sanctuary. So corporate worship, getting together with people you trust and, and, and looking at the scriptures, talking about these things, um, 
reading, spending time in the scriptures themselves. If you remove those, you're, you're removing your uh, means of grace in which, to which, in which you will likely recover sight, where the re- eclipse will begin to, to be removed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, that's what, so he, but he goes in and he, he says, I perceive their end. I perceived what, what's going on. I can see ultimately. Um, and he, he says, truly, I, you, you set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. Now he's talking about what happens at the end. They're destroyed in a moment. Swept utterly away by terrors like a dream when one awakes. Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in my heart. I was brutish and ignorant. Many of us know what that means. Can, we can identify with that. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand, and you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. And so there, this is what is happening. He's catching a glimpse of the reality, of ultimate reality. He has this transform, transformational moment or moments of encounter. And, you know, maybe it would be like, you know, those two guys on the road to Emmaus, you know. Jesus is walking with them. He's, he's in a sense, eclipsed for, in their sight from who he is. They're just discouraged. Mm-hmm. And, and he starts telling them things, and they start slowly seeing, and then all of a sudden, when he broke the bread, they see. <laughs> That's a transformational moment of encounter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and though we may not have, it wouldn't look maybe as dramatically as, as that, that's the kind of thing that happens. The living and active word of God pierced into the depths of Asaph and addressed his inmost thoughts. He encountered the truth and the life who gave him the sight of faith and healed his blindness. And the enlightened eyes of his heart, I'm getting that from Ephesians 1, 18, the the enlightened eyes of his heart told him a different story about what's really happening here. And so he sees the wicked that he had been envying whose sin had kind of looked like they were like they, it was blessing them. And he saw the terrible end of everyone who was unfaithful to God. He, and he saw that the life God had given him, including, now here's, here's what's important, including all the, he, all the strikes. And he says, I was, I was stricken all day long. The rebukes that appeared to yield such privations. I can't, I, you know, I'm going through privations and this guy's getting abundance and what in the world is going on? He, under, he, he began to see that those things were actually leading him to a place of joy. It, it is the discipline of the Lord, the, as, as in Hebrews 12, um, the loving discipline of the Lord that brings chast- the chastisements that we need um, the all painful, all, all discipline for the moment seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on here. 
When I say there's deep faith formation, that's the kind of thing that goes on. We, we often misinterpret what's, what God is doing. The things that make it, look, it seem like these are privations. These are, I'm being afflicted. I'm being disciplined. End up being the very things that create the kind of desperation of soul that presses into ultimate reality and isn't deceived by temporal reality where, that, that can lead us down dead ends or destruct to destruction. Those very things end up being mercies that look like they are afflictions. Very profound, something you just said, which is why we call it Deep Thinker Thursday. John, you said we can often misinterpret what God is doing. That's right. That's a, that's a powerful line because I would say, yes, when we're having misunderstandings, we don't have the information that God has about our life. That's right. So, and... When you read scripture from cover to cover, you find that to be the motif of just about every saint. God calls them, and then they go through numerous kinds of of bewildering experiences. Sometimes they say things like David did, which Jesus quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or like this. um, We can... We can feel brutish toward God. God's ways are not ours. I know. It's the it's the reminder we need every day. That's one that we need every yep. day. Yeah, and I love how it goes into twenty three and twenty four in Psalm seventy three. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Yeah. Whew. You see me to glory, and then and and it leads him to worship. So here's the worship leader breaking into a a kind of doxology here. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's tasting what, what Paul tasted in, in Philippians 3. I, you know, I've considered, I've I have suffered the loss of all things and consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ. He, he, was, he tasted the treasure. He saw things. He saw, like Jesus' man in the parable, the treasure hidden in the field and sold everything to have it. Whom have I in heaven mm-hmm. but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. If, if affliction leads us down in those directions, we know something good is happening in the soul. doesn't mean that you were feeling it all the time. Remember, he felt brutish and ignorant. He was pricked in spirit. So if you're in that season, it doesn't mean that you're abandoning the faith or, or you're... You, but it does mean be patient. Put yourself in the positions to, be, to catch glimpses in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Because what we want is the soul going, I've got... I've got no one I want besides you, in heaven or on earth. And if my, when my body dies, you are my portion forever. I speak to people in recovery every week, John. I don't know if you know that, but one of the uh, non-biblical stories I like sharing every once in a while, because I think it points to a, a lot of biblical truth, is this fictitious story that God is having with this guy and God says, I want you to push against this boulder. And the guy says, okay. And he pushes and pushes and pushes. And it 
goes on for six months and he's just so frustrated and weary and he cries out to God and says, I've been pushing against this boulder for six months and I haven't been able to move it an inch. And God said, I didn't ask you to move it. I asked you to push against it Mm. and I will decide the outcome. But now I have equipped you with your persistence and your discipline and all the things that it took for you to push against that rock. I've now equipped you to go do things for me. That's right. So there's that deep faith formation where you're so mad at God that the rock isn't moving. God never said move the rock. God said push against it. Right. Yeah. That is a a very helpful um, image because God actually does that. It's very very, uh, Bible-like. I know. Because he uses those things to prepare us in ways that we just, we never saw coming. Right. You just know, you don't see what God is doing. And so it's easy to become brutish and ignorant yeah. toward him. You know, like, like almost ready to, you know, yeah, and you're frustrated. tell him where to get off. You right. Know? And you're frustrated and you go, what's the point of any of this? Yeah. And you start to feel bitter and God's got a then perfect plan in place. He's got a plan. Yeah. And, and it is perfect. But 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 we often do not experience it as perfect. It it it, it we experience it as as painful rather mm-hmm. than pleasant in the moments. Yes. Um, we need to soak ourselves in in places in Scripture like Second Corinthians eleven and twelve, where God, where, where Paul, like Paul Paul learned by having a thorn in the flesh that God allowed, God ordained. Which he called a messenger of Satan, <laughs> right? Yeah, but he but he credits God to uh, giving it to him, um, and he asks God to remove it, and God says, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness." Sometimes, for some of us, we want escape from doubt. We want escape from. These, these, some of the, the things, were, uh, the deep wrestlings that we're mm-hmm. going through. And God says, um, no, that's the boulder I want you to push against. Mm-hmm. My grace will be sufficient for you. My power will be, is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul got to the place where he would rather boast in his weaknesses than his, you know, remarkable strengths. Right. Because when he was weak, it showed the strength of God. It shows the reality of God. And that's why you look around, the, the saints who make the marks often, that we, that we note, we often admire, are saints who were afflicted. Yeah. And it put God on display in a way that our prosperity doesn't. And God is after faith, not after you know, God is going to give prosperity. Um, ultimately, that's 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 what He is. He we get the reward of God and everything that is God's. Ultimately, mm-hmm. what He's what He's doing now is putting is is developing faith because that's how He is revealed in the world. Yeah, we're talking uh, with John Bloom today, learning how to fight for spiritual sight. If you've been weary. Welcome to the, welcome to life. <laughs> and you've had spiritual wrestlings. Well, that's a good thing in the long run because God is doing deep faith formation in your life. After a short break, we'll be right back with lots more with uh, 
John Bloom. I bet we've all done it, and we do it often. We probably, if you're in the middle of one right now, welcome. This is the right time to be uh, doing your wrestling. We're talking about Psalm 73. There's great hope in there. And follow-up to a, already a text I already received was, uh, I've been in that soul weariness for too long. I think the burden and the frightening part of that is this question. Am I choosing to be here because it's comfortable? Am I doing what I can do to get out of this? Or is God allowing me just to be right here? She doesn't know. In responding to that, um, I want to be very careful because um, I don't know the story behind it. Everybody's experience is unique. There's, there are stories behind our crises. They they have to do with our backgrounds. They have to do with our temperaments. They have to do with our um, current experiences. Um, they have to do with sometimes the the way the way the kind of theology that was um, taught to us. So some so there's all sorts of factors that if I was sitting you know across the table sharing coffee with this person, I would be asking them about you know more specifics. About what you know about the duration and what's going on behind there. So I I'm I can't ad- address exactly what's going on there. Um, you know, might it be that she's comfortable? It could be because we are like that. We can get comfortable in our um, in f- in in different kinds of faithlessness. We can be comfortable in bitterness. Um, we'd rather hold on to bitterness then forgive for various reasons. We can be comfortable in, in, uh, in doubt um, for various kinds of reasons. I mean, you, um, maybe, we, maybe we were part of a peer group where that's kind of cool. Or maybe we, we just have acclimated to it and we, we've, we're just, we've let cynicism sort of harden over a bit. Um, the, so what I would say is, is if you're in a place where it feels too long, number one, it almost always feels too long. Our sense of time and God's sense of time is different. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, I think almost everybody would go, well, I've been experiencing this too long. Now, but really they, there, there needs to be some mature Christians in this person's life, I think, in, who can draw them out on that question and begin to speak into it. And so I would encourage that person to make sure that they're, that they're surfacing this to, to people who care for them. And, um, and I, the last thing I would say is <clears throat> there are some listening. I don't know if it's the, this person who asked the question, but there are some listening who, who might be experiencing chronic depression and they're experiencing chronic depression because there's, um, physiological things going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was Haman's issue, the, the author of Psalm 88. He said he was deeply dis- depressed from his youth up. 
Well, that that might mean that there is more going on than just circumstantial. Yeah, just things. an intellectual faith yeah. crisis. There could be physiological things. He, you know, he could have suffered trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who knows what's going on there? There, there, are, there are other factors that that lead to those kinds of these kinds of experiences that we need to um, have drawn out. I've gone to counselors or therapists, you know, people who can who are skilled soul physicians to draw help draw me out on why I might be experiencing things that that can be helpful. Um, sometimes the seasons are just prolonged. So we endure. We endure. Uh, we learn perseverance. We press against the rock. And uh, and so, I don't know if there's a question, if there's an answer in there that's helpful to that person. But I would encourage anyone. You know, don't. These things are not simple. You're not going to be the best judge of it of yourself. We 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 generally are not when things are going bad. We generally need somebody more objective full of, who has faith and discernment, who can help draw us out and help us get perspective. And so I would encourage people to do that. I like that. So as we wrap our time up here, John, let's um, just be reminding our listeners again that Asaph, despite his despair, had a lot of hope and how we can encourage people if that's where they're at. Right. The... I would, what we want to do is encourage people to lean in t- toward hope, all right? We want, so Asaph wasn't always feeling hopeful during his season. He was, you know, in anguish. But he was clearly putting himself in the place of hope. And that's really important for us to do, continue to put ourselves in the place of hope. How do we do that? Well, we, we use the means of grace. So we've got, we've got the Word of God. That is, a, that is a significant means of grace. We have the church. All right, so that means corporate worship and, and those who are your close fellowship of believers. Um, you, you, you need them. You need them. Um, there are... You know, this is a, this was a song. We need certain kinds of songs. I know that when I'm in a deep place of spiritual wrestling, I don't feel like singing happy happy songs. Right. That doesn't mean I shouldn't. I'm just saying I know that that's hard. Mm-hmm. We should be, but we should put ourselves into he, like this. This man was probably having to sing all kinds of different songs, laments and triumphant songs. You know, because he was a, he was a worship leader in the nation of Israel. Um, sometimes being forced into those situations is good for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why you keep going to church when you don't want to do it. Um, because it forces you to do good things. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by these hymns that would be sung that would be laments, because we really don't do that anymore, do we? Not popular. No, no, it's not. They're, they don't sell. <clears throat> you know, it'd be, it'd be you know, hard to take. Psalm 88 to a publisher saying, here, this is what I'd like to put out <laughs> on my recording. And like, yeah, well, but I got a great guitar riff halfway yeah. through it. <laughs> like, you know, um, yeah, 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 this isn't going to sell. So, you know, like the, we're, we're, we, we are culturally, we culturally do not, are not encouraged to sing these things. Mm-hmm. But the Bible encourages us to do it. So we need to be counterculture, cultural. 
And um, those of you who are songwriters, um, don't just fake it, but like when you're in faith crisis, do what Asaph did, do what Haman did, do what Ethan did, write songs about it, get your journal out, write like capture material, what's going on inside the soul, what are you really feeling? And out of that may come a song, because there are songs, we all know them, we all have some favorites, songs that are hopeful and sorrowful because they tap into the sorrow we experience and they tap into the hope that we are longing for. Mm -hmm. And we need more of those. Yeah. John, always good to have you in the studio and thank you for being here. And Pam, we'll see you next time, uh, I assume. And if you are interested more, go to desiringgod.org. John's article will come out June 24th and it's called When Doubt's When Doubt Eclipses Faith, Learning to Fight for Spiritual Sight. That's all our show for today. I'm already excited for tomorrow. I can hardly wait to be with you. I hope you have a wonderful night. Thanks to the guys for Guy Talk and for John Bloom being here with me as well. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.